You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. exciting news. I built an app. I know, right? Crazy. It's called the one-on-one app where we help you become 1% better together. It's an app that helps you break down your goals, achieving your habits and incremental steps. And it helps you celebrate your progress and your momentum with streaks, check-ins, milestones. And with our multi-dimensional approach to a balanced lifestyle, we really help you become 1% better together. So go download it. It's a free app. It'll be linked below. It's only for iOS right now. We're working on getting it in Google Play. But I really believe that this is a -a one-of-a-kind mental health and wellness app that is truly groundbreaking. To give you some like perspective, it's like Noom, but for habit building. And I'm really excited to share this with you. And I'm really excited to get your feedback. So if you download it, you enjoy it, leave us a review. Thank you so much. And on to the episode. Have you downloaded Threads yet? Okay, I'm obsessed. And this is where I've been spending a lot of my time. So if you haven't already, go ahead and follow me on threads at Unstucked. And I've been having a lot of conversations, both constructive and unhinged. So if you want all of the above, make sure you follow us on threads at Unstucked. Today, I'm joined by Jim Lauterbach, who is the editor and publisher of Inside the Creator Economy. Jim has had a wonderful journey and we unpack it all today. He has been the CEO and GM of VidCon and really has just been in the creator space for upwards of about 20 years. He has a ton of value to offer, and I know you're going to get a lot out of this. Now on to the episode. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, and my pleasure. Thanks for having me here. So I was scrolling through the Insider Top 23 Creator Economy Experts to Follow, and your section stood out. And I went and actually went down a rabbit hole and started looking at your background. And so went ahead and reached out, and you're open to doing an interview, and I was so thrilled about it. I love that you call yourself a creator, economy Sherpa, and I want to get into all of this fun details, but just wanted to start off, give you a chance to give us a background, maybe your mission, your inspiration, let the audience kind of get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So real quickly, I mean, my background and my career has basically been one of, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. Um, (laughs) Yes, as it should be. Which is good. No, I got, look, early on with school, got an MBA out of college. Ended up, uh, did programming for six or seven years of technology early on. But there was an ad in a computer magazine to go and run their product test reviews. And I've been writing a little bit about what I did. I was a math major. I don't didn't have a journalism background, but I, I applied thinking maybe they'll let me write for them. And they gave me the job. So fell into media, did that, ended up becoming editor-in-chief of PC Magazine. Company decided to start a cable network about technology called ZDTV that became Tech TV. And I became the like founding head of content there hosted a show, was probably the first person to do an unboxing of a computer product on TV, in video of any means, uh, on CNBC. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Got, we got to pause there. That's a little flex. Talk about that a little bit. That's like that. CNBC 1993, the personal computing show with Leo Laporte, Gina Smith, and me. And they would come to my office and I would take computer products, open them up, and review them for this show. That's amazing. And Honestly, I'm kind of blushing because I was born in 93. <laughs> so you were born and I was reviewing computer products on TV. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so long story short, some folks that I'd worked with at Tech TV started a couple of companies. One was Dig and the other was Revision 3. I was at PC Mag. 
they got a lot of money for Dig and it started to go through the roof. Like, you want to come run this Revision 3 thing for us? I'm like, yeah, sure. Trying to recreate the magic of television on the internet, which ended up becoming one of the early MCNs on YouTube. So eventually ran that, sold it to Discovery, went off and uh, worked there for a couple of years, left. Was doing a little bit of working at a seed fund as a venture partner for my first bosses in media. Had been working on VidCon, building their industry track. And Hank called up and wanted to actually sell VidCon after, you know, seven years of running it and said, we'd be my CEO and sell it. And I was like, sure, why not? So did that, sold it, stayed at Paramount for five years after selling it to Viacom, which became Paramount, and then left about nine months ago, leaning more into creating content. I have a newsletter on LinkedIn. It's about 20,000 subscribers and working with startups and doing some other stuff in the creator economy space, building smaller pop-up events but really kind of leaning back into some of the stuff in the journalism side that I learned back when I was the first person to unbox computer products. <laughs> love that. No, that's amazing. And I loved how you started off. Like, it sounds fun because call me crazy, but that's how I've made most of my career decisions is that exact sentence. So it's just refreshing to hear someone use that as well. So as you look back, like where you're at today, I know you've kind of taken... A pretty straight path. You know, I think you've seen like you wanted to be, you know, I've seen editor throughout your resume. I've seen I was kind of laughing at the detour of uh, venture partner because I did a similar thing. And uh, man, I left that world quick. But just talk to us a little bit about inside the creator economy. I just want to hear about what was the moment you decided, hey, it's time to start creating content for myself and continuing to be a voice in this space. Can you just talk about that transition a little bit? Sure. And it's also accidental in many ways. I'm on LinkedIn, but when I was at PC Magazine, I think it was PC Magazine, might have been ZDTV, was when Reid uh, Hoffman first started going around and showing him people this new product called LinkedIn. And it turns out I was user 8500 or something like that because I saw it, I signed up for it. That's and I didn't so really cool. think much of it for like, what, 20 years or so, maybe 15, 18 years is just a place to put your resume and look, find people to speak at events. But during the lockdown, for COVID at VidCon, we went from, you know, we went back from doing face-to-face events because we couldn't. And we started doing virtual events. When we started coming out of that and started to do face-to-face events again, we have a great list to VidCon of lots of people on the industry side. And we were spamming them with emails saying, we're coming back, buy a ticket, come to the event. I had this thought. I was like, well, you know, why don't we put some content around that email so that people will want to open the email and maybe read the content and then at the same time buy tickets. And I had done this before. I started a newsletter at PC Magazine called What's New Now that's still around, which is a weekly talking about what's going on there. And so I said, why not use that? And so I did. So I started just putting it out on our list, which is 20 or 30,000 people and sending out a couple news stories each week and saying, buy tickets, we're coming back. About, I don't know, a couple months in, LinkedIn invited me to join this new property that they had just released called the newsletter property. I'm like, fine, I'm just going to take it and shove it up there. And it was my LinkedIn. I owned it. And over time, it grew and it grew and it grew. And I left VidCon because it was five years at Viacom, seven or eight years VidCon. I definitely reached the end. And I had two great people working for me who I knew would take it over and do a great job, bring in new life and energy into the event. It was right for them. It was right for me. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, oh, you know what? This newsletter, it's on my account. You know, it's not a, wasn't a VidCon account. It was mine. I said, you know, I think I'm going to keep doing this newsletter. You guys over there cool with it? And they were cool with it. So I just kept doing it. And, you know, it's up 
probably 50% in the year since I left. LinkedIn actually asked me to be in their accelerator program and they gave me a partner manager, which having worked in the YouTube industry, running a multi-channel network and then at the event, it's like, I never thought I'd have a partner manager. It blew me away. But it turns out I learned a little bit about how to do it on LinkedIn learned, and I like it. Again, it's kind of like Busman's holiday and going back to my roots where a little journalism, a little fun, one of the benefits beyond that is it keeps me out in front of the creator economy and keeps me present and keeps my overall credibility up for the things that I want to do along with that, which include hosting new events and working with startups and not working too hard and hopefully not working for anybody else again. I love that. And I think, you know, again, you from the start have kind of had your eye on this industry I actually just recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago just about the state of the creator economy. And one of the bigger things that I've noticed, because I typically look at Gen Z right now and how they're looking to change the creator economy is there's this kind of misunderstanding around what it means to be a creator and the work that goes into being creator. I think, again, we're shown the top 0.01% of content makers all the time and rarely get to see what the average content creator looks like. So as you've written the inside the creator economy, what are some of those misconceptions that maybe you've written about or maybe that your audience has spoken about or or really just anything interesting that you're noticing recently? Uh, since it's weekly, I tend to be really focused on what's happening right now. I do think, first of all, you know, you're right. A lot of people focus in on the top 2%, the top 1% or the top 10. And then they think about everybody else. And there is a middle class of creators that are doing really interesting things, but we don't talk about them much. And there's also more and more of this long tail of creators that are able to actually maybe not make a life out of it, have a career, but supplement what they do and make $500,000 a month or more doing that. So I think the idea that, A, it's not just the big creators, that there are creators that people are paying attention to across a wide spectrum of content and that it's possible. It's not either like I'm a Mr. Beast or I'm like a failure. It can feel like that sometimes though. Yeah, because everybody writes about Mr. Beast, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I, like six months ago, I was like, I'm not writing about Mr. Beast for six months because I keep on going back to him as the example. And there are lots of other great examples out there. Did you make it six months? I think pretty much. <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't hard and fast, but it was one of those like, I'm going to last and last. I want to focus. And look, there are other people out there who have done a really good job at this as well. You look at what Colin and Samir are doing, where they're doing great like connections. Even like Kayef, uh, Yuriev from The Information and Avi Gandhi are all actually looking and talking to and bringing up secrets about creators. And I started doing a little work, not much, but a little bit with Kajabi. And they do courseware. And, you know, getting to meet like Cassie Ho and Matt Stefanina and some of the people there who are, you know, not the, you know, top tier, but are making so much money not on advertising. Cassie Ho, 98% of her revenue is not from AdSense. Blew me away. And so, I don't know, I guess preconception is that everybody has to make money on advertising, but also that if you're not one of the top, you can't make it both, I think, entirely untrue. Yeah, absolutely. And I I really, I wrote down and circled middle class of creators because I've never heard that term, but I think it is so true. Like, I think there's a ton of value there. I'm someone that definitely leveraged the creator economy to not only propel my career, but also really gain a strong foothold in entrepreneurship and build a really engaged community. And I think those things to a degree, I always say are priceless, especially 
the community aspect. So I really appreciate that context. As you look through the rest of the year, it's crazy to think we're halfway through the year. When I started this year, I had a very different outlook. I didn't see threads coming. I didn't see just this creator economy explode in the media. I feel like I've just seen it everywhere now. What are you looking for as like a trend or something that people aren't really digging into in the creator economy that maybe you're looking to unveil through the end of the year? So I think the fact is a lot of people, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the growth of the creator economy and it exploding, but we are now in the middle of the you know, people are starting to slag on the creator economy a little bit and the investments are down and advertising is down and the creator economy is dying and maybe we pumped it up way too much. And I think what I think we're going to see is a little bit of a perception that creators, even though after a certain level, every creator essentially becomes a CEO of a direct-to-consumer company. There is a <laughs> Thank spe- you for saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> yeah. There's a spectrum of creators between the... CEO business types and the creators. And I heard this a couple times at VidCon when Colin Samir talked and when Marcus Vett talked from Mr. Beast and other people that really there are a wide variety of creators and some creators will be great CEOs. Other creators need help. And that kind of help means they need people to come in and help them run the business and help them partner with them. So I think we're going to see more, not just people giving money to creators or buying back catalog from creators or getting them to brand, but actually Partnering with creators, whether it's as an, in an accelerator or a way to help have a long-term relationship with them where they can fill in the gaps that the creator doesn't want to. I think that's one. And I think the other is that we will see more of these creators that are able to sustain themselves in different ways. And also, I do think, you know, we talked about threads before we got started But I think we're going to see more of these interesting platforms pop up doing new and different things in new and different ways. So it's not just that you have to be big on YouTube or you have to be big in shorts and big in TikTok, but there are going to be a variety of ways that you can create and develop a community and build. And so I'm really interested in seeing that develop. But it's those different business models of how creators can partner with other people to grow themselves and what they do that don't require the creator to be a startup CEO necessarily to be successful. And also that we don't look at creator businesses as following the same arc as traditional businesses. I think that's key is the arc. And it's something that I personally pride myself on being that operator behind a lot of these creators and CEOs. And it's something that now I've stepped into that role. There is more about building a sustainable business behind a creator. And I think I work with kind of two different types of creators. I work with the creator who's like, I started this as a hobby and a fun thing, and I don't want this to be a business, but I've also quit my job and I have no choice and I have to create a business. Or I have the person who from day one is looking to sell this thing and knows they're good at content, knows they're good at parsing this out. So I wanted to get into and just dig in a little bit in in a couple of areas. First off, I wanted to talk to some of our newbies and maybe even established creators who are in the space right now. They're hearing the news that you and I are hearing. I choose to listen to the more positive news, but definitely cannot lie. I hear all the naysayers right now. What are some of the tips that you would give people who are, one, maybe just a little reluctant to get into the space because they don't fully know what it entails? And then maybe two, some of those creators that have been in the space and are hitting a plateau or, or questioning if this is for them. What are some tips that you would give those two audiences? Well, if you're thinking about getting in but I haven't taken the leap yet, there are a lot of places where you can do it and don't feel like you have to do what everybody else does. 
So yes, you can go to YouTube, but you don't have to be Mr. Beast. You don't have to do challenge videos. You don't have to do that sort of thing. There is a place for lots of different type of creators. There are also many platforms that don't require you to do what YouTube does, which is to post long videos and do this all the time. LinkedIn, for example, is a place where you, know, you can post two or three times a week and that's okay. You can just write, you can just do video, you can do audio. Probably don't want to go and be a beauty guru there, but there are things you can do there. <laughs> well, they're making their way over too. I've seen that now. I've seen just about everything. I have seen a lot of makeup tips on, on <laughs> but maybe that's because it's just not my community. So there's an opportunity out there and everybody is a creator, really. We have these little you know, candy bars in our pocket right here and they, they let everybody be a creator and everybody's an influencer. We all influence somebody, even if it's our dog. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to do it, try it. There's no shame in that. And if you're already a creator and you're running into some roadblocks, there are ways to supplement what you do. A lot of times you hit those roadblocks because you're on the hamster wheel of creating content. You feel like you need an editor, you need a producer, you need somebody to do this, but you just don't want to bring anybody on board. We're starting to see a number of AI products come out. And don't be scared about AI. It's not going to take your job away. But they can help you either do some of the things you don't want to do, like write those letters or create a pitch deck so that you can send it out to potential sponsors or even help you be a better editor. I'm a terrible editor. But I use Descript and I'm better. But I also used one of those, so you know, there's Fiverr and, and the Upwork. I mean, I've used them also to help me with editing, with logo design and other things. So there are tools coming out that'll help you. I mean, I'll give you another example of one that I think is pretty cool. Let's say you're doing a long form video, something like this. You're doing this, you're putting this on YouTube, whatever you do with it, you could take this with a company called Opus Clip, feed it in, and it would create short form videos of the best moments. It would picture like when to focus on you, when to focus on me, maybe neither of us, I don't know, what, whatever. But, and it creates a three, four, five, 10 short form clips and they look really good. And you can use that to post on shorts or post on TikTok or post on Reels. So you don't feel like you have to do it and then post here and post there. We will see more of those tools. I put a newsletter on LinkedIn. I want one that'll take my newsletter and multicast it across, you know, across Medium and, and Substack and Beehive and all these other places. That doesn't exist yet, but it probably will soon. I love that. And I think to your point, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I first started, I was in its crazy to think about, but I was playing 19 roles and I wrote them all down, right? And I'm now down to about nine and I think I'm doing pretty good. I've had to delegate quite a bit. I've had to automate quite a bit, but there's, again, there's always so much room and that my dream product is something that just multicasts across all the social platform and optimizes and posts as if it was posted natively and not from a third-party app. So the algorithm doesn't get mad at me. I have a feeling I'm going to be dreaming for a couple more years until they're able to, to figure that piece out. You want to know something funny? There was a product called TubeMogul. That was out uh, in 2007, 2008, before YouTube became YouTube and it was all dominant, which it was for like five or six years. When we were doing Revision 3, we would do these video podcast videos. And we used TubeMogul because we'd take it and produce it for our own site. And it would take it and then it would do super distribution to all of these others. Break, Rever, Blip, uh, Vio, so many different places that it would put it. And it was great. It didn't have the AI so that it would create, it would take, make new thumbnails and all that. But the idea of that property has existed for a long time. And I don't know if you know the company Channel Meter. I don't, but I've heard of it. Channel Meter right now, Eugene Lee runs it. He was actually, he was our customer support guy at TubeMogul, who's now running his own company. But 
But and Tube Mogul ended up becoming, a, a, I think, an ad network or an ad server, and they sold for a lot of money and did really well. But that product has existed in one form or another. It's just we need it now with the AI to do it for video along with, you know, text and other things. Yeah, no, it's exciting. I One of the first I can think back to, I believe it was like my junior, senior year of high school, I interned at a company called Blaze Stage, and they were trying to repurpose across Facebook, Twitter, like the Inklings, but they just got killed with API, like just not being able to like effectively build it. And they spent all this money uh, and no one asked the question of APIs until they were millions of dollars deep. And so totally understand like from a logistical perspective that it's really, really difficult. But that's what Jelly Smack is doing now, right? Yeah, and yeah, a couple exactly. Other I mean, exactly. they basically are like, yeah, we're just going to take your YouTube videos and we're going to force them out on Facebook. But they're also investing in, I think they're investing in AI because there are tools that can do it as well. Like they bought Kamoa and, and I'm sure there's some others. But yeah, so it's funny. It's like, you think like, oh, this is brand new stuff. It's like, no, it's not really. Maybe this has been perfected a little <laughs> bit, but yeah. I want to change directions here a little bit. You know, I love your energy. I love your commitment to the space and to you. It looks and, and also sounds you've built a life that really works for you. And I want to unpack that a little bit because it's not easy. I know someone like you makes it look really easy. Um, and I want to talk that through. So what are some of like the challenges that you faced in this journey to get where you're at? Like when I asked that question, like what are some of those examples and, and how did you kind of get through it or, or or how do you just at least show up better when, when those things happen? Yeah, I think there are two times that I can point to in my career. One is when I was at, at PC Magazine, I was editor-in-chief. I was at the pinnacle of this. It was a great thing. And, but it was, you know, magazines were dying. It was all web. There was like a lot of money in it. And you could see that it was just not going in the right direction. But, you know, I was doing well. I had, you know, a nice house and a wife and a three-year-old son. But then these friends of mine came and said, hey, you want to be CEO of this company, Revision 3? And I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to be a CEO. I, you know, I got an MBA early on. And it's half the salary. It's, you know, no guarantee we're going to be around in a year. It's, yeah, a lot of options. Who knows if they're ever going to be valuable? You know, I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. And, you know, I went to my wife and I said, look, I want to do that. And she's like, just go do it. We'll make it work. And so... I think that's a really important thing to make sure that you have the support group in place before you want to make any big changes because you kind of know when you want to do it. But if you do it without making sure that whatever your support team is, is ready to make it work for you, it can be really tough. Absolutely. You know, and it was really tough. Like we did it for a year and then 2018, the, the world fell apart. You know, it was just, it was we fought through it and we laid off a third of the staff and we refocused 100% on YouTube, which was the right thing to do. But it wasn't easy at the time and it wasn't obvious it was the right thing to do at the time. But overall, it was the right thing to do. And then the other one was at, at Tech TV and I helped build this cable network and it started to you know go south a little bit. And it was the dot-com crash that happened. And I just built this 250-person division of the company that was doing live TV eight hours a day about technology and investing in stocks basically because Paul Allen, who bought the company, wanted something to watch during the day and didn't like CNBC. And then, you know, the dot-com thing hit and I had to lay it off everybody. And I eventually was like, well, I'm laying myself off because I don't have a job. I don't want to be here anymore. It's toxic. It's driving my brain crazy. And it's a big downturn. Who knew what I would do? And basically took three months off and 
you know, did a little bit of freelancing. It's actually when I got my first and only byline in the New York Times for a story. So that's amazing. But yeah. uh, then my buddies over at Ziv Davis were like, come back, help us build our websites and run PC Magazine eventually. I love that. No, I think that's really important. I I love the support aspect because when I was laid off three weeks before my wedding last year was when I took the leap uh, and it was been one of the best decisions I've ever made. But I did two things before I entered back into taking these massive leaps and risks that ended up paying off was, like you said, one, making sure my support group, aka my wife was on board and making sure that then everywhere I went, whether it was a conversation, a partnership, whatever it may be, that I was appreciated. And what that meant was not only were those people wanting to execute their plans, but they also wanted to know what I thought. They also wanted to value and support my goals. And I think that's really important in a lot of our nine to five counterparts, corporate you know, the the term now corporate baddies that are out there struggle with that because that's not how capitalism or corporate environments were built. They weren't built to empower the worker. So that's been a huge thing that I've focused on as a leader now, as a CPO at HFK, as a equity holder on one-on-one, and as the CEO of Unstuck is that every person I work for, I always want to know what their goals are. I always want to know how I can support them. And not only from a career aspect, but also professional aspect. What is your What does your day look like? What things get you motivated and excited? Do you need to work out in the middle of the day? Do you need to have a four-day work week? Like, what do you need to be successful? And I think these are kind of the new age questions that employers are going to have to ask and care about if they're going to differentiate. Do you see any of the same in your environment? Yeah, I I do. And I agree with that hundred percent. I mean, look, I think first of all, if I look back at the second example, know when you're in a toxic environment, because you're going to be a lot better on the other side of just washing that job right out of your hair and getting on to whatever the next thing is. But the other is, is if you're a manager and you can look for this in the managers you have, but I always told people I worked for me or managers are like, look, you never own somebody. You're only renting them as it were. And it's not even renting them. What you're doing is you're honored to have them be on your team for however long they want to be there. I love that. And, you know, at VidCon, we had someone came in and ran social for us for a year and a half. Amazing person. When she left, it was, you know, there was a lot of, there were a lot of tears, but I made sure that we all thought about embracing it because wherever that person ended up going, we were still going to be friends. We're still going to work together. And it turns out in her new job, it's absolutely the right job for her. But it's also something where we work at VidCon, working even more closely with her. And she's an advocate for us. And so those things play out all the time if you treat people right and realize that you're honored to be there together and that it is not forever. And it may not even be for a year or two. But for however long you have it, great. And don't burn those relationships on either side. I absolutely love that. And that's so important. Honor. I think that's a new word for, right? Like that working relationship. Yeah. It shouldn't be, but it very much feels it that way. For and me. It's like, no, I'm honored to have you be part of my team. Exactly. And I can put myself right back to one of the first times I left a job, which wasn't anything crazy. It's actually when I joined Nike and telling my boss that I had only worked for for about a year that I was moving on to this opportunity. And I remember like holding my breath after I said it. And he got up, came over, gave me a hug, was like, I'm really proud of you. You're going to crush this. I'll probably work for you one day. So please uh, give my resume a look when when I apply. So I want to just say like, I really appreciate that take because I think it's super important. As a wrap-up, and I always ask this as my last question, just because I think there's an imbalance of how people view what success is and social has contributed to both ends, both positive and negative. How do you define success? 
Well, look, success is different for everybody. For me, success was enjoying every moment of my career. Not every moment, because there's always going to be some moments you don't like. Yeah. But every step of the way, I would always look at it and say, am I enjoying myself? Am I having fun? Is this great? Is it getting me where I want to go? And if the answer to any of those were no, I'd be like, well, let's find something else that's fun. So success to me was not having a multi-billion dollar startup and being able to have five houses and, and all that. It's like, Success for me was to be able to have fun, enjoy myself, meet great people, have a great family, be in a great place, but it didn't mean having to rule the world. Now, for some people, success is ruling the world. And if that's the case, that means you do things differently. The success of somebody like, you know, Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson talks a lot about what success means to him right now in his life. And it's something I could never do, but I say, you, good for you, you do it. However, also understand that what you think of as success might change over time. And so the success that you thought you wanted or you strove for in your 20s and 30s, when you reach your 40s and 50s, there may be a different definition of success. So don't be afraid of changing your definition of success over time as well. I think that's key and that's super important. And one thing I've learned, you know, as I approach 30 now is to leave space for that. I think that's really important is leaving space for that reinvention of yourself whenever you deem necessary. Jim, this was a super valuable conversation. Where can our audience support you and find you? So head over to LinkedIn, uh, Jim Lauderback, J-L-O-U-D-E-R-B, which is actually my social handle on everything. Go to LinkedIn, subscribe to Inside the Creator Economy, the newsletter I run uh, and write. And uh, I don't know, come to one of the meetups that I do, which I'm going to do more of this fall and winter. Absolutely. I'll make sure I drop all the links below. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok.